Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. Today, we'll be joined by Larry Cuban, who's written an incredible book called Confessions of a School Reformer. Talks a lot about the history of education in the U.S. and where we are today, even includes some reflections on, on COVID, which is amazing. But it's also a really powerful memoir uh, of Larry's life. So I'm really excited to get into that conversation shortly. Before we do any of that, I wanted to welcome you to the show. Larry, welcome to Trending in Education. Oh, thank you, Mike. And I appreciate your doing this podcast. Absolutely. The book is really tremendous in that it incorporates a full life's worth of experience. Your, your background is really what makes this so interesting, your perspective on these different periods of American education and school reform. You were wearing many different hats across the span of your life. You've just written this tremendous memoir. At a high level, how can you catch people up on who you are and, and how you you got to this point in, in your professional life? Uh, sure. I was born and raised in Pittsburgh. Got my first teaching job there and then moved to Cleveland and worked as a high school history teacher for seven years, then moved to D.C. and worked as a high school history teacher there and an administrator running a professional development program. And then I uh, went back to uh, school to get a, a Ph.D. because I wanted to become a superintendent. Mm -hmm. I got the PhD and became superintendent in Arlington, Virginia, right across the river, Potomac River from Washington, D.C. And I was there for seven years and uh, the school board changed and they wanted their own superintendent, which is, uh, you know, that goes with the territory. Right. And I came to Stanford and I spent 20 years on the faculty at Stanford and have been retired. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, since I left the faculty. That, in short, is it. Yes, exactly. And that, that is very much part of the book. And, and the book was really interesting from a, a format perspective. I, I've read some education policy books and, and other history books, and it has elements of that. But the, the fact that you were able to incorporate your memoir into it, I thought was really profound on a number of levels. Can you talk folks through how you structured the book and how it fits together? Sure. I had just finished a uh, book and, and I was between projects and I began thinking ab about uh, my life. I'm 87 years old and that's a, a nice time to begin uh, looking back on your life. And I realized that single reform movement that had occurred in the 20th century, every school reform movement I had participated in as a student, a teacher, a superintendent, and a professor. There have been three school reform movements in the 20th century. The progressive movement, I was a student at schools then, mm -hmm. uh, the civil rights movement, which affected schools greatly, and I was a teacher then. Mm -hmm. And then the business-driven school reform movement of the 70s and 80s and 90s, and I was a superintendent and part of that time. Yeah. And then as a professor, I had the time to write and reflect on that, and that became the, the spine of the book. My personal journey as a student uh, teacher 
uh, superintendent professor as these three school reform movements unfolded. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's, it's really remarkable. You're able to outline the components, but each of them has behind that bullet point, there is a lot of story to tell. One example is the, what you referred to as your professional development project that was training folks coming out of the Peace Corps how to teach. These stories, they, they make the educational policy connect to reality and narrative in a way that, that I think certainly resonated with me. Where to begin? Maybe begin where we are right now as well, where there's some reflections that you have at the end about the last few years where the impact of, of the pandemic that we're living within. Any thoughts on where we are right now and how it relates to the, you look at almost 120 years worth of history and then the 87 years of your life. It's, it really is a, a pretty deep read that I, I would recommend folks who are listening to get into it. But, but any thoughts on where we are now? Yeah. If you're talking about the impact of the pandemic on school reform, it will have very little influence in changing the existing direction that has been around since the 1980s, which is basically using the metrics of test scores, making sure that uh, a lot of the kids graduate high school, trying to ensure that uh, a lot of kids, particularly uh, kids in the low-income minority kids, go to college. Mm -hmm. All of those big impulses originated in the 80s and 90s, yeah. and they have been around for the last 30 years, and they will continue. They've continued during, and I would guess, after the pandemic also. Interesting. Yeah, because that was the one piece where I guess I was hopeful that some folks have talked about the shock to system being an opportunity to change. If you go all the way back to the 70s or the 80s, that's a long time to still be in one era. I'm always hopeful for what might be coming next. Do you envision a new movement emerging at some point? You know, how do we get out of this sort of corporate influenced, metrics driven, test driven, standards driven mode? Will we get out of it? <laughs> Should we muddle through? Any thoughts on this? Well, uh, here's the thing. I, I look at school reform as a product of what's going on in the larger society. Mm. The largest society, whatever movements occurred, and I mentioned the progressive movement, the civil rights, the, the business informed reforms of the last 30 years, 40 years, all of those were larger movements in the society that spilled over the schools. The schools mirror the society. They don't change the society as a lot of reformers think they do. Whatever movement is a foot now, before, during, and after the pandemic, I can't tell you. But right now, we continue in the embrace of the business-informed school reform movement that began in the late 70s and early 80s. Yeah, yeah. And that's about 40 years now. Remember, the progressive movement began in the 1890s and really lasted until World War II. That's true. So that, that's almost 50 years. So right. these reform movements, once they move from the society into the schools, they last a long time in schools because schools are basically conservative institutions. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Your experiences in these different periods, can you give our, our listeners just some reflections on maybe beginning with the 
progressive period, sure. a high level definition, and then what your experience was like yeah. there? I, I began elementary school in 1939, and that was during the progressive movement. And then I went to college. I became a teacher in the early 50s, 1950s. And the civil rights movement, if you dated after the Brown decision of 1954, I was a teacher and the civil rights movement surrounded my work and influenced my work as a teacher in Cleveland, where I created a lot of materials what were then called multi-ethnic materials or racial content for my classes there. I taught, I've only taught in basically all minority schools. So I created these materials in the fifties and some of it became turned into books that I had written. Yeah. And then I moved to DC where uh, a lot of re uh, school reform was underway mm -hmm. and I became highly involved in both school reform and what was going on in the civil rights movement in Washington, DC in the sixties and seventies, both as a teacher and an administrator in the Washington DC school system. Right. My experience in Washington put me in touch with the, uh, the superintendents there a great deal. And I said to myself, I can do that job, right. but I needed a doctorate. Mm -hmm. And I and my family decided that we would move to Stanford where I got my doctorate and I applied for 50 superintendencies and got rejected for all 50 because I didn't have any experience as a superintendent. Mm -hmm. And then the 51st application turned out to be Arlington, Virginia. And uh, they, they made a commitment to, to hire me. Yeah. And I stayed in Arlington for seven years and the school board changed and they then wanted a different superintendent. So I resigned yeah. after seven years mm -hmm. and came to Stanford where I uh, spent 20 years as a professor, as a researcher and teacher. Yeah. And, and then the business influenced phase, the, the Reagan era into the, the, the present day, focus on work readiness. And as you mentioned, like getting minority kids graduated and into college as, as some of the, the driving metrics. Can you talk a little bit about what's good and bad about that and what your experiences have been like in this current era? Well, uh, I start with this assumption, Mike is that there is a big difference between policy talk, what you're talking about when Washington and state, federal and state policymakers talk about policy, and then states and districts adopt certain policies that are in sync with that talk. And then these districts and states have the problem of getting into classrooms. And that is the hardest part of all the, the trying to get teacher, schools and teachers to uh, change, to meet the new reforms. Yeah. And so yeah. I see it as three levels of policy talk, policy adoption, and policy implementation, which is in the school and classroom. Mm. And that is where a lot of policies don't get translated into action. Teachers can always open and close their doors to the most current policy, its rhetoric, and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. And then what about the role of the teacher and the, the potential for burnout and the, the, the psychological challenges of politicization that 
we're, we're living in right now. Do you have any thoughts or advice for folks who are in the classroom or trying to affect change in, in our educational system? Yeah, the first thing is I, I've already said is that schools don't change society, but schools reflect, they mirror society. So the idea that if you want to become a teacher to change the world, you're going to have a, a tough road to hope. You mm -hmm. really will. Mm -hmm. But you can change kids. You can have an enormous impact on the kids that are in your classroom or if you're a principal in your school. But the idea of going into schools to reform society, which has been very popular in the history of this country, is, is very difficult. And the history shows that it's, it doesn't always occur if it occurs at all. Mm -hmm. So my advice to anyone is to study the history of school reform. And there are a number of books out that do that. And I would encourage people to read about what happened to previous school reforms? Mm -hmm. Most people don't, most Americans are ahistorical, right? Uh, right. The, the present is what matters, not the past. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, the past is always in the present. Mm -hmm. So it's very important to know about what happened to previous school reforms. As I said, there have been three in the uh, movements in this century and to see what happened and what remain stable and what changed. Yeah. Well, this is not pessimistic. Some people say that I depress people when I talk about the history of school reform. School reform is a mixture of stability and change in school. Mm -hmm. And people need to recognize that schools are basically conservative institutions in a, a society. Yeah. Yeah. I, I was struck by, to your point, there is some measured optimism in in the book. I always gravitate towards like Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. It's a hard road to hoe to your point, but then in some ways that is what makes it meaningful and understanding that you may not ultimately change the, the whole system it is a lesson that really, I guess, has to come with time. Uh, are there other lessons learned, me other messages to get out there? I think that what I've uh, just said is the fundamental message of the book, mm -hmm. that reforms can occur in schools, but they will be incremental reforms. And anyone who says that schools have to fundamentally change, there have been very few fundamental changes in public schools since the middle of the 19th century, right. there have been many incremental changes in the public schools. And if you want to make those changes as a teacher, as a principal, or as a superintendent, or as a, a state or federal policymaker, you have to understand that history. Yeah. And, uh, and a lot of people don't want to take the time to look at that history. Yeah. There have been so many reform movements that repeat what has gone on a generation or two earlier. Right. And it's important to understand that. I'm not saying the schools don't change. I'm not saying that schools are unimportant. I'm saying that schools are very important in our society, but they're not all important. Right. And that schools and systems do change but they change incrementally mm -hmm. by people who work inside the system. Mm -hmm. They rarely 
change because someone mounts a a bully pulpit of school reform. Right, right. Yeah, we're getting closer to time, but the the two other areas I wanted to make sure we hit on. One was the role of role of technology, which I know is something you've thought about over the years, and it's something that has become a little more front and center, particularly in light of the the pandemic and and happened since folks have had to use it more. I'd love to begin maybe with your perspective on the role of technology. Yeah, basically the first devices began to be distributed to schools in the early 1980s. And and the uh, first decade of the 21st century, these devices became ubiquitous. And so now it's common to have each kid has his or her own device. And that's fine. The, the current technology hasn't replaced pencils and paper. What it does, it supplements them. And it's another option for every teacher to use in a classroom. You see many teachers easily shifting from a written assignment to asking kids to research something on the internet on a device. There's a cart of laptops, let's say, or tablets, and the kids go to the cart, pick out a tablet or a laptop, and they do the research. The teacher tells them to return the uh, laptops after 30, 40 minutes. So it's uh, a lot of, I would say, I can't say most, I don't have the data, but a lot of teachers, many, many teachers have learned to integrate these devices into their regular lessons. Mm-hmm. Has the technology changed teaching? I don't think so. And I argue that uh, in the book. Right, right, exactly. Uh, so despite a lot of the noise and a lot of the language that's out there around the digital divide and some of the, the transformations that have happened, you're again arguing a little more for some slower change. Teachers will continue to do incremental change rather than these technology silver bullets or major see changes that you see that are technology driven. Yes. Remember the hype that surrounded technology. And I've been allergic to hype ever since I began to study the history of school reform. So you have to separate the policy talk, the hype Mm. from what policies are adopted and then look into the classroom. My whole career of writing has been to look at the policy to practice journey. What happens to policies as they travel toward the classroom? Mm -hmm. And it's important for people to understand it's a long journey and it's often an interrupted journey when you uh, adopt a policy and then you expect teachers to uh, put that policy into practice Mm -hmm. in the way that it was intended. That rarely happens. Yeah, yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to get your take on is as someone who's been active in a school board, you've been a superintendent, schools and education has become much more zeitgeisty. You know, it's much more top of mind. People are activated around what's happening in school board meetings around the country. This is in some ways reflecting some of the polarization that we're seeing out there. Do you have any thoughts around how folks can or should engage or any recommendations around trying to, to your point, see through the hype and understand what's actually going on out there? Uh, When you talk about all of the ferment and the controversy and the conflict that's going on now around school boards, around curriculum and anything, anyone who knows the history of public schooling and the history of teaching knows that 
these kinds of surges of conflict have occurred in the past. Mm. Schools reflect society and what's going on in the larger society around race and social class inevitably spills over into school boards and schools and occasionally classrooms. Uh, And so this is a very familiar pattern. And it's, it's wise to know that these things have gone on before and that there will be some changes in schools, but never achieve the intentions of those reformers that, uh, that say schools must change. And I think that's a good thing because communities want their schools to be stable and they want their schools to do two impossible tasks. They want their schools to conserve the values of the community and transmit them to the young, but they also want schools to be engines of change. And that has been a historical conflict in public schools in this country for the past 200 years. And so that's why the turmoil that we see now is a very familiar phenomenon. And some of it will alter what goes on, but incrementally. Mm-hmm. Uh, and much of it will pass until the next social movement in the society occurs. Wow. Yeah. Some, uh, some wise words from Larry Cuban, the author of Confessions of a School Reformer. If you're intrigued by some of these takes, we'll include a link to Larry's book on the show page for this episode. We're getting close to conclusion, Larry. Again, thanks both for your work, for the book. And for your appearance with us today, as we're wrapping up here, do you have any concluding thoughts, any things for folks to come away from this conversation thinking? The one thing I would say is that read about the past of school reform if you want to ever understand the present. But I appreciate, Mike, the opportunity to do this podcast, and thank you. Awesome. Larry Cuban is his name. His most recent book, Confessions of a School Reformer, really interesting memoir in addition to a way to start to understand policy and other frameworks. If you like what you're hearing, please write us a review. Tell your friends. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.